The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. from two passages today, and I'm going to read from them in their chronological order, which might seem strange because I'm reading the New Testament passage before the Old Testament. But I want you to see the very fact that Colossians chapter 1 has Paul telling of a scene of praise to Christ that actually is far before this planet was even made. And then, if you want to put your finger in the prophet Micah, small prophet to find in the Old Testament, Micah, although Old Testament, and although he spoke about 2,700 years ago by our calendar, actually spoke long after the events of Colossians 1. Listen first to Colossians chapter 1, starting at 15. Paul writes of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross." I don't know too many passages that go from Christ before creation all the way to his cross in a few verses span, but that passage did. Now this short passage from Micah chapter 5, beginning at verse 2, the prophet writes, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall stand secure." For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. This is the Word of God. A wonderful play by the American Thornton Wilder was written decades ago and won many prizes and I'm sure is familiar to some of you. 
It concerns life in a very small New England town. And there's one particularly memorable speech in which a young girl, whose name is Rebecca, is speaking to her brother, George, one of the main characters of the play. And she is reflecting about something very odd and unusual that her friend had recently told her. Here's what she said, Rebecca said. She said, why, George, Jane Crowfoot got a letter, and the envelope was addressed exactly like this. It said, Jane Crowfoot, Crowfoot Farm, Grover's Corners, Sutton County, New Hampshire, United States of America, continent of North America, Western Hemisphere, the Earth, the Solar System, the Milky Way, the universe, the mind of God. And then Rebecca told her brother, and the postman delivered it all the same. Well, perhaps that line from a famous play does bear some resemblance to what God was doing in the incarnation of his son into the lowliness of human flesh, like an obscure farm in Nebraska, from the universe that he commanded and where he was and remained Lord before he came down to be born at mankind's front door. You know that after Jesus was born, Matthew 2 says that magi sorcerers, astrologers, they were kind of a mixture of odd things, from Persia arrived in Jerusalem. And they said, where is the one born king of the Jews? We saw his unusual star. There's a new book out that has a strong claim that the star of Bethlehem was a comet. I've been convinced in the past that it was not, so I need to read that book. But Herod didn't know what they were talking about. And he went to his advisors and said, did the scriptures say anything about where the Messiah, the king of Israel, would be born? Of course, you know all the political reasons. He was worried about that, and his advisors probably had to go and check it out, not being astute Bible scholars, but they came back and said, in Bethlehem, which, by the way, was five miles down the road. Well, maybe some of you know from visiting there that Bethlehem today is a relatively drab I hope anyone from Bethlehem isn't insulted, but it is a rather drab collection of buildings on a stony hillside. I recall my one and only visit there, my thought right away. So we say, here our bus was driving into Bethlehem. And of course, my mind was, this is where Jesus was born. And I thought, is that it? It really is not very impressive. And yet in that small town. Of course, Jacob buried his precious Rachel, and Ruth met Boaz there. King David was born there, and Jesus was born there. Could there be hardly a more significant place on the earth, spiritually speaking, and yet it's a nothing kind of place? If you didn't know what it was, you'd go by and you wouldn't even notice it. I think today God is showing us that he works in menial places. He works in lowly, insignificant lives. Christ, the son of the highest God, our two passages are telling us, 
was born in a cow stall, and he was put to death in the precincts of the Jerusalem garbage dump. Now, you don't get too much more down-to-earth than that. And as we think about the all-important incarnation, the taking on of flesh by the Son of the highest God, I'm putting together these two texts today that may not seem like a natural pairing, but I think they are. Colossians 1 and Micah 5 have something to say to us. I want you, first of all, to notice that a New Testament epistle speaks more ancient truth than does an Old Testament prophet. Colossians 1.15 is a verse that looks way, way, way back. Before we even counted things on a calendar or by a clock on this earth, it describes for us the preexistence and the majesty of the one we would call the cosmic Christ. Cosmic being used there means pre-existence, pre-creation. Christ who predated the creation that we know and look at and marvel over. He existed long before he came to Bethlehem in the fullness of the deity of God, masked in a garb of a baby. We read here these amazing statements by Paul. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the invisible God made visible. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is before all things. And this amazing statement is worth a sermon all by itself. And in him all things hold together. Paul is describing Christ before his birth and the stunning acts of creation. I have a homework assignment. I do this every once in a while. I always wonder if anybody takes me up on it. I hope some of you will. When you go home, if you have a computer that's attached to the internet, enter three words in your search engine. Here's the three words. Write them down so you remember. Hubble, telescope, pictures. You can remember that. Hubble, telescope, pictures. I really urge you to do this. You'll thank me. Enter into that because if you've never checked this out, you will be amazed at what you will see a colorful gallery of dozens or even scores of photographs from the Hubble telescope taken from deep space. And you'll see pictures of the Milky Way galaxy, the Andromeda galaxy, the Orion Nebulae. I just started writing a few down, and I I was too busy. I couldn't tear my eyes away. You know, you want to see what stardust really is. Go look. Hubble telescope pictures. It will occupy you for a while. The visual wonders of God's creation in deep space. Why do I ask you to do that? If we had the facility, I don't tell the elders I said this. That's not them sitting in the front row. I would project them on the wall so you could see this while I'm speaking. Pictures that were what Christ saw before or as creation was taking form, wonders that the human eye can hardly believe that it's seeing, looking like some kind of fantastic abstract art, and yet beautiful in every way. There's a hymn writer that spoke of Christ and said, 
He is the creator of the rolling spheres. Well, these are the rolling spheres. And you will be amazed to see the kinds of things that busied Christ in creation before he came to a cattle shed. Paul is exhorting the believers at Colossae here to say Christ was supreme over the vastness of space and time. He participated in that creation. John 1.1 said it. He was with God at the beginning of the universe, and he was God. Star systems boiling over with splendors to the eye were all seen and understood and even shaped by Christ. And yet he lowered himself to earth so we could experience his new creation that he intends to do in us who believe. Well, secondly, let's switch to Micah 5 for a moment. We see here that God sent his son to an earthly place full of distress and woe. Micah was preaching to God's people in 701 B.C. here, when we we can pinpoint it pretty closely when he was writing. He was a contemporary of Isaiah. Let me just remind you that the people of God were in two separate kingdoms at this time. There was the northern kingdom called Israel and the southern kingdom, Judah, which had Jerusalem as its capital. The northern kingdom had already been swept away at this time. The superpower, Assyria, had come in and basically devastated Israel. They were gone as far as an organized nation went, and their people had been carried off in slavery, and there was no government for a people of God there anymore. Well, now the Assyrians decided, all right, we got half of that group. Now let's go in and get the rest of them. The stronger part was in the south. Jerusalem was a fortified city, harder to conquer. So they came in with an army to try to take Jerusalem. Now, it's interesting too, and this is just a sidebar note, that the place that comes out here in the prophecy of Christ that is spoken right in this scene when all of this military power is rattling its sword and everything else, the prediction comes that a great ruler is going to be born in a town in this southern kingdom, Bethlehem. You might have wondered why it gives two names. Here's the reason. There actually were two Bethlehems in Judah. And this one was known by another Hebrew name, Bethlehem Ephrathah. And so not only does God's word pinpoint the town, but it makes sure that you don't even confuse the two towns with the same name. And another sidebar, by the way, that Ephrata is the same designation that gives us a town that's just north of here up the road where some of you live. Now, Micah 5 was happening when King Hezekiah was the ruler in Jerusalem. We know that he was one of the best of kings that ruled God's people in the Old Testament days after Solomon. Many of the kings were evil and and ungodly and set up idols and everything else, not King Hezekiah. All right, here he is faced with an enormous Assyrian army assembling in the valleys around Jerusalem. And he knows even though Jerusalem is rather well defended, naturally speaking, and has walls and gates, nevertheless, a long enough siege would probably do it in. 
King Hezekiah went before the Lord. By the way, if you want to check out the history, 2 Kings 18 and 2 Kings 19, tell you the historical background here. It says there in 2 Kings 18 that Hezekiah was a man who, quote, held fast to the Lord. Wouldn't you like to be known for that? He or she holds fast to the Lord. Well, he went in and he prayed, and it tells of his prayer there. He abased himself before the Lord, confessed that he was a sinful man, prayed for the Lord's help. And 2 Kings 19 tells you of a great Old Testament miracle. In fact, I would say without any doubt at all that that just for the sheer uh, greatness, uh, stupendous size of the miracle, it stands right up there with opening the Red Sea. Here's what the miracle was. As the Assyrian army slept at night, they were they were sending taunts in, you know, they were yelling up to the walls, oh, you guys think you can stand against us? You think your God is great? We'll show you and your God what you're made of. And as they slept the next night, Second Kings 19 says 185,000 Assyrian soldiers died in their sleep. God did that. They must have counted the bodies as they dragged them away to burn them the next day. 185,000 men who thought they were the superpower died, and their leader, Sennacherib, fled back to Assyria. Now, they were conquered later on by the Babylonians, but for that time and for the following century, they were safe. What you have happening in Micah 5 is God predicts in verse 3 that there's going to be a long time of, of anguish and sinfulness and the people continuing not to follow God. But even before he compares that to a woman in labor, he tells them the result of the end of that time of anguish and, and terror and spiritual decline and says the end of it is going to be a great ruler is going to be born in Bethlehem Ephrathah. And this is the one God has promised. And so we look here in Micah 5 and see a surprising birth to come from no place special. It was 700 years away, 700 years from the time Micah spoke it. But we can look back and know what Micah didn't even know. He didn't know. He was uttering through the Holy Spirit one of the greatest specific prophecies about Christ that was spoken in the whole Bible. But 700 years later, anybody would know that it was in this small place, verse 2, this insignificant place where a great birth would occur. Now, people might have thought about that. Well, maybe they were talking about David. He came from Bethlehem. No, wait a minute. That can't be. We've already had David. This is a future prophecy. David was born there, but... He too, by the way, was one of the least, wasn't he? Remember when they came to look for a king? When Samuel came and said, well, what son from this house is going to be the king? And they paraded in the NFL linebackers. They had a team of them there practically in in the house of Jesse. And they all looked pretty impressive. And the prophet said, no, 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 no. Well, do you have any other sons? Oh, well, yes, we have the run to the family. He's out tending the sheep. He doesn't count. That was David. God chose the least son from the least family of the least town to be the king who would be a vessel he could fill with his power and greatness. 
Well, Joseph and Mary were certainly not important people, were they? Nobody had ever heard of them before. Mary was a teenage girl, almost certainly, probably not 20 years old. Joseph, a workman with his hands, he was not the father of this child. Here was a couple in a predicament that caused people to mock them and maybe scorn them a little bit. But Isaiah 11, spoken near that time, declares this, a shoot will come from the dead stump of Jesse, and from his roots a branch will bear fruit. Micah 5.2 has God telling us that his power will accomplish something in an obscure place, unnoticed, in an out-of-the-way location, in, a, in unknown people. And it will be a great thing. Look at the words there. It says, out of you, Bethlehem Ephratah, will come for me a ruler over Israel, one whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. I don't honestly feel that the English translation quite captures the literal sense of the Hebrew there that it says his origins are from everlasting, not just ancient, because ancient to me means you could measure how many centuries it was. It's from everlasting. It's from no measurement. And that literally says that there in the Hebrew. This certainly points to the eternal preexistence of Jesus Christ, exactly what Colossians 1 was talking about that he was the firstborn of creation. So do you see how these passages come together? The squalling baby born of this Virgin Mary was no less than the cosmic Christ, the partner of the Most High God who participated in the original creation, the uncreated Lord of the universe, was here in a shed a shed, all that the innkeeper could offer at the backside of nowhere. What kind of an amazing wonder is this? Now, what does this mean to us on the 21st century December Sunday? We are Christmas jaded. We've lived through Christmases of our childhood and our young adulthood, and depending, of course, on your age, your old, old seniorhood like me, a lot of Christmases. We say, I, you can't teach me anything new about Christmas. Been there, done that. I'm trying to rattle you a little bit to say there's something about Christmas that should shake you to your toes. Here we are being told that 700 years before it happened was a prediction that a great ruler would come from no place special at all. And it happened exactly as predicted. And in fact, other scripture combines to say the one who came was actually the cosmic Christ. The second person of the Trinity, not just a David or a Solomon. How much more than they was Jesus who came? You know, we're used to the stories of smelly shepherds. Boy, I bet they were really ripe. I don't think you'd want to stand near an an ancient Palestinian shepherd. No showers out there in the field. No changes of garment. And they were called to come and observe. And they did. And they bowed down. Wise astrologers from a foreign land who seemed to symbolize the fact that people from the Gentile world were paying more attention to what God was doing than people from Israel, his own people. 
And here's prophecy like Micah 5.2 that provides for us a strong evidence of the integrity and truthfulness of the Word of God. How can you doubt a book that can tell you this in specificity happening seven centuries before and then it comes to life exactly as predicted? Can you trust this book? Why would you trust any other book when this one can speak in such a way? from truth that is unshakable and with integrity. You know, I'm I'm personally expecting some Christmas gift packages to arrive. I don't know if FedEx or UPS or somebody will carry them. I actually was a little bit annoyed last night, not at my wife. She was the one who told me this, but it wasn't her I was annoyed at. She said, I think this one item she named that we're expecting, you know, you get these updates and they track exactly where the box is and it says it'll be here today, this day, Sunday. That annoyed me because I don't want people delivering things to me on the Lord's Day, but I can't control it. And she said, I guess we'll have to look at the porch tomorrow to see if they brought it. But you know what? If that box is here today or another box is there on Tuesday or next week or whatever, I know what it's not going to say on it. It's not going to say to Michael and Carol Rogers in Leola, Lancaster County, state of Pennsylvania, United States of America, North American continent, Earth, the solar system, Milky Way galaxy, the universe, the mind of God. Boy, you know, UPS can track things, but they don't do that yet. Not that I've ever heard about And the reason I don't look for anything to be addressed that way is because to me that gift addressed that way already arrived in my life. I've been in possession of that gift for almost half a century as the Lord, the cosmic Christ, made his home address this life, this week brain that can't remember people's names anymore. This heart, he lives here. John 1.14 says he came and made his dwelling with us. The literalization of the Greek in that sentence is he pitched his tent with us. He pitched his tent. Mary and Joseph and a no-place special town were the setting for a work of such historic importance that was planned before the earth itself existed. And God still works great effects in little people in unnoticed places. He comes to obscure towns. He begins grand work in humble lives when those lives are offered him in trusting faith. There are no meaningless places. There are no meaningless lives. There are no people too small for Christ to fill up as vessels of his grace. I might be speaking to somebody who says, you're kidding me. God doesn't pay attention to me. My life is such a waste. How could he be interested in it? Pastor York was in our first service this morning, and after he'd heard me speak, he said at the communion table, don't worry, God isn't going to lose track of you in the midst of the stardust. Thank you, Tucker. That was well said. God isn't going to lose track of you in the midst. Does he know the stardust? You better believe it. Andromeda Galaxy, he designed it. But he's not going to lose you amid the stardust. I leave you with a question. 
Are you aware today that his great work has already begun in you? Let's bow together. Father, you really stretch us when it comes to Christmas with thoughts of eternity, past, with thoughts of life in Christ in eternity future. What a speck and a dot we are on the calendar of time. And yet you came among us. You became one of us. Father, shake us out of our laissez-faire attitude to Christmas. Waken us with worship and with praise with a desire to know this one you sent more and more as our Redeemer and our Savior. We ask in his name. Amen.